So, Pinks, I've just had a text from someone I work with at the FIA saying, please, can I drive him to McDonald's? Mm-hmm. Please, everything hurts. It was a massive night. That's the joy of these back-to-back races when you don't go home. How do you know we didn't have a massive night? Well, I don't, but you're looking quite fresh. Oh, not feeling it. <laughs> no, we actually got to the airport. Everything was shut, apart from a tiny little spa shop, of which there were limited resources in terms of alcohol and we cleared them out of whatever they had nice i like have you ever had a desperados uh no no beer with tequila in it hang on a minute you drank one of them before getting on a plane sensational (laughs) game changer (laughs) cool how are you feeling are you feeling fresh yeah no i'm feeling good and uh great weekend i mean i know the race well we'll talk about the race i know it wasn't a thriller but there were so many elements to it and the championship is so exciting that I'm still buzzing. You are. Cool. Well, let's start the show. Um, what is it called again? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the F1 Nation podcast with me, Natalie Pinkham, and my friend, Tom Clarkson. You're saying it wasn't a thriller yesterday. I love all Grand Prix. i tell you what I felt about that one is it lacked intensity, right? The previous seven races, there was such intensity to every single one. Even if there wasn't much overtaking, there was pressure. There was something to get excited about. Whereas I felt Max Verstappen dominated the whole weekend, didn't he? Max Verstappen slows down to take the chequered flag and absolutely crush the opposition here at the Red Bull Ring. He wins the Styrian Grand Prix. Unbelievable. The car was on fire today. So nice to drive. Unbelievable. Thank you very much. It never looked in doubt. I think, though, we have been spoiled, as you say, in the last few races. But there are so many layers to this challenge, to this battle between the mighty Red Bull and the mighty Mercedes, that there's always just so much to get your teeth into. And as a fan, so much to enjoy and revel in and respect and admire that even if the race does play out as it did yesterday, I don't think we should be switched off or turned off by that. And in a 23 race championship, they're not all going to be brilliant. And we've got someone from Mercedes coming on the show in the minute, haven't we? We sure do, which hopefully will give us an even better insight into what's going on. We had Toto Wolff on the stage yesterday after the race, and I think what was so interesting about it, clearly they're being challenged in ways they haven't been before, at least for the last seven years, but they are at a loss as to where they're going to find this two and a half tenths in terms of straight line speed. And it's difficult to see how you can develop a car that you're no longer focusing on or putting money into. This is the issue, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to develop it. And Red Bull still developing. They brought new parts on Thursday and Friday to Styria. On the subject of Toto Wolff, I felt he was deflated all weekend. I don't know about you. Well, he wasn't very well. He wasn't very well. He lost his voice. He's feeling a bit run down. But yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it's a symptom of the pressure that he and the team are under. As I say, they're not used to this kind of pressure. Although I always feel that Mercedes, particularly Lewis Hamilton, quite enjoys pressure. You've seen him at his best under pressure in a way that other drivers perhaps make mistakes. I don't think Lewis Hamilton's really doing anything wrong. I just don't think his car's quick enough. Yeah, I think you're right there. Valtteri Bottas, you couldn't say the same about after that spin in the pit lane. Although he was quick, wasn't he? 
He was quick. He was great in yeah. quality. He had a really strong yeah. quality. To put it P2 ahead of his teammate, I know two tenths off Max, but to come back from the disappointment of that grid penalty and, you know, very much still in the fight. And I actually said that to Toto after the race. You know, when you consider everything and you've still walked away with two drivers on the podium, that's not a bad result. Did he agree? Well, he did, but I think he is still at a loss as to how they're going to improve this car and make up that difference in terms of pace. The other thing to consider is this is the first time in the hybrid era that they've ever lost or haven't won four back-to-back races. And yet they are still only 18 points behind in the Drivers' Championship. You know, it's not that bad. That's only a second-place finish, isn't it? Well, look, we've got technical director James Allison on in a minute and we can ask him all of this and more. As for Red Bull, I think this is the best version of Red Bull we've ever seen. I agree. And I include those four championships in 2010 to 2013. Stunning. Well, I think in a way they weren't tested then in the way the Mercedes weren't tested over the last few years, whereas now we really do have a battle. And I think... It's actually Paul DeResta who made the point, but, you know, I'll nick it. I'll plagiarise it and take the credit. Red Bull have used their time away from the spotlight in a way to keep developing, tweaking, changing. And now they're kind of reaping the rewards of that. But they're relentless and they're in such a good place. It's like a purple patch. It's almost like everything's clicking. It's almost impossible to stop this Red Bull freight train from powering ahead. Yeah, helped, of course, by... Max's brilliance. Because I always think, you know, even when Mercedes were dominating, if you looked at where Valtteri Bottas was, it was a much closer world championship than where Lewis Hamilton was relative to the opposition. And it's the same now, particularly over one lap in qualifying, with where Max Verstappen is relative to Sergio Perez, isn't it? Don't you just think he seems so relaxed at the moment? Max? Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Very calm, very at one with himself. I've never seen Max in such a good place, I have to say. Yeah, and he's just grown so much as a person and as a racing driver, isn't it? I look back to 2018 when he... Do you remember he made that mistake in FP3 in Monaco and he started the race last because he couldn't qualify and he came under a lot of criticism then for people saying, are you going to change the way, you, the way you approach the weekends? And he was belligerent in saying, no, I've got nothing to change. But I do think there were some tweaks made behind the scenes. And I think that is where having someone like Christian Horner as your boss, Christian, of course, has raced himself. He knows, obviously, he wasn't as quick as Max Verstappen, but he knows the racing driver's psyche. And I'm sure he worked very closely with Max to just tweak a few things and a bit like the team has been tweaking itself for the last few years and they're reaping the benefits now max has been waiting for this moment to have this car and very relaxed very happy in his personal life and i think that always helps doesn't it and absolutely and a great dynamic with checker just what i, I mean i just say, think Pink. they're so well suited as teammates I mean, it's easy to say that because they're winning but the truth is is that i think checker was so grateful to have his f1 career saved that late call-up from Red Bull. And here he is at the front of the grid, performing way better than he would have been if he'd stayed with Aston Martin. You know, it's a shot in the arm for his career. And because of his approach and because of his experience, and he's kind of unflappable as well. He's got great racecraft. It just complements Max so well. 
Yeah. Now I know you're the queen of exotic drinks. You've told us oh. about what went on in the um, in the airport. But well, by the way, I'd never had a desperados before. I, I want to hear from any listeners who are uh, you know who know this drink well because no one else at the airport could believe I'd never had one. But I tell you what, I'm never turning back. That's my drink of choice from now on: beer and tequila. Amazing. I sound really hardcore, don't I? I only had one. <laughs> <laughs> one was enough. Well, Max Verstappen turned up on Thursday and uh, I don't know, did you did you interview him on Thursday? But in the press conference, my goodness, he was in good form, giggling, laughing. And I said to the, the PR people at Red Bull, I said, crikey, whatever Max is drinking, can I have some of that? And she said, yeah, he's had four Red Bulls today. <laughs> no. Yeah. There you go. There you go. That's your next challenge at the airport next Sunday night. Four Red Bulls. Go for it. Then I definitely won't be awake in time for the FA Nation podcast. <laughs> you won't have gone to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So Red Bull looking very strong, relentless. Pinks, can you see them being beaten when we come back in seven days' time? Momentum at this stage of the season is crucial. It's the third in a triple header you know, heads are dropping of those who aren't performing well. But when you're performing well, all you want to do is get back out there and race again and, and capitalise on this great feeling within the team. So, yes, potentially five consecutive wins. And to do it at your home track must be such a buzz for them all. Yeah, I mean, there is a tweak, isn't there, this coming weekend? We've got some softer compounds. Um, How but... much of a difference do you think that will make? Because they did veer away from the softs, didn't they? Because they just yeah. were... Pretty useless race tyres dropping off so quickly. It was the Pirelli C2, C3 and C4, the weekend that's just gone. And they're going to have the 3, 4 and 5s this coming weekend. So two of the compounds they'll know already. And it's the softest, the C5, that's new. It's all about tyre life, isn't it? In the past, Red Bull, not Mercedes, have been the ones struggling with tyre life. Um, but it seems to have gone the other way now. So it'll be interesting to see how how it plays out. But I don't know, Red Bull just looks so strong. They really do. And actually, isn't that just great for the sport? We have been longing to say that for some time. As long as Mercedes keep challenging, we need them to stay up there. We need the intensity of the fight. And they will, they will, they really will. I mean, they're just, they're too good an outfit not to. And actually, I think whilst probably a bit weary at the moment, they'll get a good night's sleep in and they'll be ready to crack on and make amends for what was a disappointing weekend. But I say disappointing, they were still second and third. By anyone else's standards, that would be an incredible weekend. It's all relative, isn't it? Now, before we crack on, Tom, I've got something I want to ask you. I'm just going to come right out and say it. You usually do. Better able to deal with what's thrown at it. And it's backed up by over 50 clinical trials, making it one of the most studied bacteria in the world. I don't know about you, Pinks, but when we're travelling, we throw quite a lot at our guts, don't we? And so you actually feel a difference then? Yeah. I just feel less bloated and sluggish and more energised. And if I can already feel a difference at this stage, I can't wait to see how I'm going to feel further down the line. Don't be greedy then. How can our listeners benefit from this too? Just go to sons.co.uk and use the code F1Nation25 to get £25 off your first order. So pinks, sons.co.uk and use the code F1Nation25. Brilliant. Science and Leclerc storming drive through from the Ferraris, finishing sixth and seventh. One of my best performances ever, but at the same time, it's so disappointing. 
Now, driver of the day went to Charles Leclerc. And yet I think if you were to ask Kimi Raikkonen or Pierre Gasly, he might not have got their vote. Yeah, he was brilliant for 70 of the 71 laps, wasn't he? But, you know, pretty messy at the start. I mean, great recovery drive, though, you have to say, to bring it back up. But also it's turn three with Charles. Do you remember last year? Yeah. He hit then Ferrari teammate Seb, Seb Vettel. Yeah. He had his moment with uh, Max there in 2019. Yeah. yeah. There was a bit of drama at turn three, yeah. isn't there? But my goodness, he was good. But yeah, okay, driver of the day, whatever. What was significant for me wasn't the job done by the drivers. It was the job done by the team. Because Pink's in, Absolutely. in, in Paul Ricard, they were nowhere. And I feel like I was chatting to Laurent Mekies, their sporting director, coming into this weekend. And he said, if you'd sent me a text on lap 15 of the French Grand Prix, I would have said, we're looking great. It was only after lap 15 that it all fell apart. And so he said they were nervous. Yes, they were. They've worked hard in the three days between the two races. But for them to be as strong as they were in the race, a massive compliment to them. Hats off to all the engineers at Ferrari. Absolutely, because they were really scratching their heads after France, thinking we don't have answers going into Austria. But again, Tom, doesn't that just speak volumes as to the unpredictability of this championship? And it's great for the fans to know that we know so little, the teams know so little, and they know so little. Going into each race, expect the unexpected. You just don't know what's going to happen. I did feel sorry for Pierre Gasly because I thought he qualified really well. He missed a session with a power unit issue. And I thought he was really set for a strong race. Sonoda had a great race. And I thought Alpha Tauri were looking really strong there. So it was disappointing that he didn't finish. Probably not quite as gutted as I was, though, for George Russell. I mean, when he got promoted with Sonoda's penalty and started within in the top 10, it really looked... At one point, he was running in seventh. This was it. He was going to get his first point for Williams. Or handful of points. So disappointing. But, you know, he's still shining bright and I think he's still showing people up and down the grid just how much talent he's got. I just wonder how much patience he's got because these young, ambitious, hungry drivers just want to get in the best car possible. And it's only so long that you can kind of languish at the back and come in nil point every time. Well, he wants that Mercedes next year. If that all happens, that's great. If he doesn't get the Mercedes, then I think that lack of patience will shine through. Mm. Equally, Pink's... Williams have done a really good job. Absolutely. absolutely. You know, on merit, he was eight thousandths of a second yep. away from Q3 on Saturday. Yep. And in France, he was 12th when all cars finished. Yep. And I yep. couldn't believe that stat that that's only happened 10 times in the history of the sport, that all cars have finished. That's bonkers. But yeah, had there been a couple of retirements, he'd have taken his first points there. So ifs, buts and maybes, you know, he will do it eventually on merit and my goodness, will he enjoy every minute of it. Pinks, this Merck power unit problem that George Russell had could prompt them into introducing a reliability update in the way that Honda did with Red Bull. Because I heard rumours at the weekend that this new Honda power unit that was introduced last weekend in France is worth another 10 to 15 brake horsepower. They've managed to get rid of some vibration, apparently, all in the name of reliability. So you're allowed to make those changes. And with that, with a new fuel as well, the combination is another 10 brake. And I just wonder whether Mercedes will look to introduce a new power unit on the back of George Russell's problems. And I don't know if they've got to do something. 
And you can find horsepower in the name of reliability. Honda have proved that. Well, you know what? I can't answer that question, Tom, but I do know a man who can. You're not wrong, Pinks. Uh, He's in the waiting room now. Let's let him in. Mercedes technical director, James Allison. James, howdy. Hello. Good to see you. Now, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, but you've just come out of the post-Styrian Grand Prix debrief. What conclusions have you reached about yesterday's race? Well, we were discussing whether it's more painful to be beaten on pace, having executed a clean weekend, or having uh, thrown away opportunities where you might have won, but uh, you left stuff on the table that stopped it, and reached the conclusion very, very quickly that uh, although the former hurts, hurts pride, because you don't like to be slower than than the people you're competing with, that delivering everything everything we can in good order is a precious asset and uh, and is necessary to keep us in the hunt while we seek the missing performance and is the very minimum we should expect of what we're doing. So we had a good weekend actually from an execution point of view and, uh, and the challenge is on us to try and make sure that we find the missing performance so that we can go and put pressure on on Red Bull and hopefully see them stumble and make this a fight. And how confident are you that you can find that missing pace? What needs to happen? Uh, well, you're never, never confident of anything. It's, uh, it's the, I'm afraid it's the, the permanent fate of anyone who works in this business to be uh, perpetually worried about what your opponents are doing and, and nevertheless having to focus only on what you're doing. Uh, but we have, we have a reasonable a number of things that are going to make our car faster in the coming races. And uh, let's hope they prove sufficient. I'm excited by that because Toto's been telling us, no, 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 no upgrades. So what are these things that are going to make you faster? I don't think those two things are at odds with each other. What Toto has, and I don't think Toto has said precisely that, what Toto points out is that next year's rules are a big and hairy affair and, and that, they demand a huge amount of our attention. And so most of the focus of our factory has switched over to next year, the performance discovery for next year. But that doesn't mean that there aren't things still in the food chain from prior to that focus switch. And furthermore, it isn't all of the factory. And furthermore, we're only one of two factories. There's also the PU factory and there is a little bit more to come also from the PU. So there's there's some more aerodynamic change in the offing, uh, a little bit of PU we hope um, on the delivery side and just a few things that are not quite as tidy as we would wish that we still got the opportunity to put right while this season is still very much alive and hot. Well that is music to the ears of all the fans I'm sure because we love this fight but to see four consecutive wins now from Red Bull, we're like, okay, come on then, Merck, what have you got? Um, without wishing to oversimplify it, is it a case that you're not as quick as you thought you would be at this stage of the season or Red Bull are just quicker than you expected? Uh, well, they both amount to the same thing. What has definitely been true is that we, ever since the rule changes that were introduced aerodynamically for looking after the tyres, we have found it 
hellishly hard to find the sort of performance gain rate that we did previously uh, prior to those rules. So um, that has made our life trickier than we wished it to be. James, what about this coming weekend? Is it a good thing for you that you're coming back to the same racetrack? Or do you, would you wish that it was Silverstone this weekend? I don't think it's a good thing for any team specifically, but it's an interesting and a good thing for all the teams because we don't normally get to do a sort of reload and repeat. And you normally leave every weekend with a bunch of unanswered questions, which are unanswered because the rhythm of the weekend and the duration of the test sessions and the number of tires you have and the variables that unfold over the course of the weekend always mean that you're not capable of getting all the answers to all the questions that you wished. And this is as good a way as any of going back and reopening some of those uh, unanswered questions and seeing if you can answer them. That doesn't mean it's a specific good for Mercedes. That is true for every team uh, up and down the pit lane. And so everyone will be going off to answer their unanswered questions. And I imagine that the net change of knowledge across the teams will not be large. But of course, we'll be striving to make sure that if we can uh, work well, that we will hopefully step forward relative to others. It's important to remember, though, isn't it, James, how different the Austrian races were from each other last year. There are many variables. It's not going to be a simple case of cut and paste and we can expect the same again come Sunday. The weather is a massive factor, of course. And we've also got these different tyre compounds. How much of an impact do you think that will make? I think it will be interesting. The race was fairly evenly poised between a one and a two stop last Sunday and it will be I think more the other way (laughs) it'll be strongly favoring two stops I would guess by the time we go down a compound step but it, it will still be possible to do a one I expect but probably be favoring a two and also the rather capricious C5 tire will come into play in qualifying and if perhaps if you combine that with the quite heavy scrutiny on on tire prescriptions and uh, sort of reaction of the sport post Baku will mean that that really quite soft compound will be a little bit of a handful, I would expect. Don't want to get too techy now, but... But you will, come on. (laughs) But your head of trackside operations, I think that's what he is, Andrew Shovelin, said last night that you had a wacky setup direction this weekend just gone and that that needed to be honed for the for the coming weekend. Look, wacky races. We love wacky races. But what's this wacky setup all about, James? And, and did it give you any performance? Well, I think wacky is probably just a little bit of a, a colourful uh, expression on Shelf's part. It was a little different to how we normally run our car mechanically. Uh, so aerodynamically, it was very similar. Ride height-wise, very similar. But just changing the roll distribution front to rear, that was different to how we normally would do it, seeking a a better balance between single lap performance and long run performance. Whether we have got that that compromise exactly as we would wish it, that sort of goes towards the list of unanswered questions uh, that we're going to have an opportunity to answer by going back to the same track a second weekend running. And was it quicker, this new setup? Well, you don't have the luxury of of having two parallel Grand Prix where, where you you run everything with one and everything with the other and see who wins at the end of it. We think it was quicker, but it's not without its compromises. So uh, whether there is a better uh, mousetrap, we'll find out. 
So what's morale like in the team as a whole at the moment? I mean, it's obviously tough. You're working incredibly hard. But as you say, you handled everything brilliantly this weekend, um, capitalising on Sergio's slow pit stop and your drivers ultimately finished second and third, which is a strong result in most people's books. I know you have very high standards and you want that win. Is it one, therefore, of being a bit weary and being on the back foot or are you quite determined and want to channel this this frustration to work even harder to start seeing results again? Well, we're a racing car team and, and we a racing car teams want to win races. They don't want to just compete in them. We, of course, wish to get the very maximum that we can out of our our car and our driver. And, and we did we did a fair job at that. At the last weekend, and uh, and we're of course going to be frustrated until we have put something down on the tarmac that is just the quickest, um, like Red Bull were this weekend, like we were in Barcelona, and we we won't be particularly satisfied until we're doing that. So morale is, of course, you know, a little chastened by the fact that we have that delivery ahead of us, to, that challenge ahead of us to deliver on putting a the quickest car on the road. But nevertheless, this is a very resilient group of people who is a mixture of seasoned campaigners and younger folk. Uh, the younger folk have only ever known the good times, but they're determined to get back to them. And the seasoned folk know that in times like this, the important thing to do is to stay resolute, uh, to stay absolutely focused on the job in hand, and to make sure that wherever possible, you can keep the pressure at a constructive level so that uh, so that people aren't frozen under the burden of it, but instead they are pumped up by the challenge and the fun of it. It's really hard to think of things that are more fun than being in a very, very tight championship. Of course, that fun is only properly realised if you end up being the last man standing, but uh, or last person standing. But nevertheless, the challenge of it is not something that is going to cause us to be paralysed and uh, and to lose focus on what we're doing. James, what are the drivers like when it's like this? I mean, Lewis has had so much success over the last seven years. I mean, Pinks and I were talking about this earlier. Now it's harder. How motivating is he in the meetings? What's he like? Because certainly after the race yesterday, I thought he looked a bit knocked, I have to be honest. Well, he, he wants to be driving a car that allows him to showcase his skill. Uh, but he is absolutely brilliant for us in these circumstances because he's so focused on winning and on championships that his response to a situation like this is just to redouble his own contribution. Uh, he was in our factory running a lot of simulator laps last week, and he is as committed as anybody to making sure that that we find the edge that we need to to be able to put pressure on the Red Bull in front. And I think you just you see him at his absolute best. You know, Valtteri is is someone whose mood is a little more. Um, unchanging and he remains the sort of implacable figure he he always has been had a strong weekend in the car qualifying a whisker ahead of Lewis and determined to get every point he could from the weekend so no we see the best from them in supporting us and uh, and pushing us but in a way that is helpful not sort of finger pointy or or destructive how hard does Lewis push? Is he the sort of bloke that's ringing you at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night? Oh, God, it's Lewis again. Hang on, kids. 
uh, no, not in that way, but I, I can be reasonably confident of uh, to have an exchange with him where he's letting me know the things that he thinks are important and asking me if there's any way in which he can help progress those things and also wanting to hear from me if there are aspects that are coming to the car that he wasn't aware of and the, the sort of timescale he can expect those in. It's a friendly and comfortable exchange that is just helpful to me and I hope helpful to him. And you used the word determine for Valtteri just now. And I have to say, I completely agree with that. He seemed so focused. He was on the back foot with the penalty going into quali. He put in a cracking lap and was as feisty as ever, really, to sort of translate that into a decent race. I think Valtteri obviously has got some frustrations and some disappointment, but I feel like he's put those behind him and he's more focused than ever right now. Well, certainly he's very, very keen to show that he is worthy of his place in the team and a top-ranked driver. And a weekend like the last one is extremely helpful for him in that regard. What about you and your career? Because there are changes are coming. How do you feel about it? And uh, what does it mean in actual terms for your daily life? Well, I got very mixed feelings about it. Uh, it's, you know, this is by far and away the best, most exciting, the most fulfilling job I've had over the arc of my career and have loved every moment of being technical director here over the four seasons prior and the half season so far. And so voluntarily deciding to hand that on to a successor is is a strange experience because it's not normal to walk away from a thing you love. But Nevertheless, the person who's coming next, Mike, is going to pick up the baton from me and accelerate away with it. He's going to bring to it a vigor and, and, uh, and a dedication that I'm sure is going to see the team very well served. His standard of engineering judgment and, and his values and behaviors as a leader are top draw. There's a great deal of pleasure to see Mike have his chance and to know that the team is going to be well served under him. And a great deal of pleasure to know that that handover is happening uh, in a nice organised way and where I can feel that I, I'm stepping away with the team in good shape, stepping away from the, the technical directing, that is. And that as I do so, I can turn my thoughts to the new challenge of the new role, where I hope to continue to be helpful and useful, but where, where the nature of the role will be less immediate, less sort of visceral than, than the role of technical director. When does it all change, James? Is it Thursday this week? Mike takes over formally as technical director on the 1st of July. I don't know whether that's Thursday or not. Yeah, it is. Yeah. The reason I don't particularly know that is that uh, Mike has already been doing loads for some time and I have been helping him see the sort of rhythm of my job and after the 1st of July I'll continue to be a support to him I hope uh, so it's not a sort of cliff-edged thing in any case the sort of proper proper new job role will probably be more in January next year and the remainder of this year will be a sort of gradual sliding transition from uh, supporting Mike to fully focusing on on the new role as the as the season uh, rolls on. So how many races will you come to then from the 1st of July onwards? 
Uh, well, I don't know. Um, It'd be strange not having you there at all of them. Well, I haven't been there at, at many of them this year and was oh. only there at a handful last year. Just, and indeed, even prior to COVID, I would tend to only come to one in three or so. Uh, it was only in my first year with the team where I invested a whole year into travelling. Well, we must have been on exactly the same races because I would see you at all of them and I just assumed you were at even all the ones well, I was You're obviously just a dirty slacker like me. But, <laughs> so. I wonder what you were going to say then. <laughs> slacker. <laughs> now, now james pinks and i have uh, before the show we were we were adding up a few numbers and by our reckoning your cars since you arrived at merck in 2017 have won 54 races that'll do not a bad tally <laughs> go on what have been the best races the best wins which was the best season just how, how do you reflect on the last four and a half years well, first of all, I'm going to take issue with my cars, your cars. I hope that's a your, your plural um, rather than... I knew you'd say that. You know, I knew you'd say that. They're the team's cars, and uh, and I've been lucky enough to be part of the team while those victories have rolled in. But there have been a lot of fantastic, uh, fantastic experiences over those four seasons or four and a half seasons. Weirdly, the ones that stick in my mind are not necessarily the the thumping wins or the dominant this or the dominant that. It's actually been uh, races where we stumbled a bit but have had the right reaction. They're the ones that tend to stick with me, and a few where we've where we've snuck an unexpected win out from under people's noses. But the ones in particular are qualifying in Monaco in 2017 and. We had a dreadful qualifying. Lewis, I think, didn't even make it to Q3. And uh, Valtteri managed to sneak up into second place in quali, but we'd had a miserable weekend and were not organised and not performing well. And on Sunday morning, Toto got us all together and spoke to us in a way that I found quite inspiring, just saying, you know, that we all know this has not been good. We all know that we haven't performed well, but let this be the low point and let's make everything we do for the remainder of the weekend take us forward from here and we're going to come home from this weekend with as many points as is possible to get from this starting place and we're going to make sure that we don't show this weakness in the future and it was it was such a calm and measured response to a weekend that was fairly dismal performance and really uh, exactly what everyone needed to hear prior to the race and we did manage to deliver well from that point forward and yeah so I remember that actually from the same year Hungary where we were not as quick as the Ferrari but not because we'd screwed up we just weren't as quick as the Ferrari and for whatever reason Valtteri was in front of Lewis unable to attack the Ferrari that was a bit quicker than us and we wanted to see whether Lewis could um, fare better and we asked Valtteri to clear out the way let Lewis have a go promising that Lewis would give the place back if he couldn't get past. Lewis went and hammered away at the back of the Ferrari for a while and didn't manage to get by. In the meantime, Valtteri had fallen back from that hunt and there was a fair chunk of time between the two cars. And yet Lewis had to honour the commitment to let the place go back. It would have been incredibly easy for Lewis to say, well, look, he's so far back now. Does that still hold, you know, really? And at the time as well, Verstappen was really closing in fast on Valtteri. So there was almost no gap between 
Verstappen and Valtteri for Lewis to drop into if he were to let the cars go by. And nevertheless, Lewis stuck by what we said we would do. There was quite a lot of angst behind the scenes on the pit wall about whether we were doing the right thing. Uh, it was really very sweaty about whether Lewis could actually manage to let Valtteri back in front and not cede the place to Verstappen in the process. But he did it. He didn't give away the place to Verstappen. He did let Valtteri have the place back. And I felt it was just a really brilliant exhibition of what the team stands for, which is basically a, a good level of integrity uh, from top to bottom, even when it's very difficult. And, uh, and I think that act by Lewis did a lot to cement the relationship between Lewis and Valtteri, the relationship of trust. And it showed everyone in our team what we're for. And I personally find that sort of thing really important to how I feel about a, a group. And, uh, and so I remember it very, very strongly. Would you like to see Lewis and Valtteri remain teammates next year? Uh, it's not my not my place to to speculate on that. To be honest, they've been a very good driver pairing, but uh, but it's it's not my place to speculate further. You know what, James? I love the fact that you picked those two examples out because they're not necessarily standout uh, victories moments that the fans may necessarily remember, but from the inside looking out, the things that matter in terms of integrity and, and team morale, and that's clearly. The, the foundations of any great team. Yeah, well, they, they matter a lot to us and a lot of how this team has managed to stay successful for a, a long period of time is because it matters how we all work with one another. And it's that that you're working for the people and with the people either side of you that has motivated us to keep, you know, working hard even year after year season after season garland after garland it's doing it with all the people around you that matters and i hope that strength that we have collectively will will play its part in a season that is definitely going to be a challenge uh, for us this year but has been a real a real cornerstone for the team over the last many years and which i was very lucky to join in and become a part of Lovely stuff. Now, are you going to get more free time? Are you going to get to pursue your hobby and passion for flying? The role that I'm going into being should give me a bit more free time, yes. Yes. But I also have a terrible personality defect, which is that I, I get really involved in whatever I'm doing. So I will need to ex exercise a good degree of self-control in order to actually be able to use the potential of that spare time. So um, I hopefully will be able to find a good equilibrium between the opportunities and fun of the new role and also being fair to the people at home who love me. Important to strike that work-life balance, isn't it? I mean, I think that's the thing. We all agree that when you're in F1, you get so sucked in, you almost can't see the, the, the bigger picture around you. Yeah, but how lucky to have a job which does that. Yeah. People up and down the land, sort of maybe they, they, they grit their teeth and do a five days and can't wait for it to be over. Absolutely. It's not like that. It's not like that. Even, even after a weekend when you get beaten, you still want to come back in and, 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 and do some more of it. So it's a very, very lucky thing. James, in the new role as what is it, Chief Technical Officer, are you going to pursue any engineering ambitions completely away from Formula One, but with your Mercedes hat on all the same? Because I think Toto on Friday in the press conference 
Did he mention America's Cup? Did he mention all sorts of stuff that's not related to four wheels? Uh, on site here at Brackley, there are a number of things that aren't related to four wheels that are non-F1 projects that we are involved in. And, and the new role will have some component of involvement in those. And America's Cup is one of the things that we are involved in. And I will be, I hope, helping a bit there. Wonderful stuff. James, thank you so much for your time. And we look forward to seeing you when? There isn't actually, uh, and this is COVID related, not not role related. Uh, the, the sport is trying to keep the traveling community as, as compact as possible. So there the will come a moment where it's important for me to be at a track because a thing is happening where I need, need to be there and have a discussion, but that's not scheduled at the moment. But uh, I'll look forward to it whenever it is because it's, it's always fun coming to the track. So will we. Yeah, we'll look forward to that. Thank you, James. Great to chat. It's a pleasure. Nice to speak to you both. Thank you so much. Thank you. Right. Bye. Let's talk McLaren, Tom. Now, listen, I know that this was not an easy weekend for Daniel Ricciardo. And when we saw him up there in P2 in the practice session, we all got a little bit excited. The honey badger's back. And then, of course, Quali was very disappointing. He then powered through the field and looked like having a really strong race and power being the operative word because then he lost some power and dropped right the way back down to 13th. I feel it's a real shame because it's not reflective of his pace, the car's pace. And he is, I believe, starting to feel more at one with this car. But he was let down with a reliability issue, a crucial point in the race, and he couldn't recover from it. So I am not giving up on him yet. Or ever, in fact. <laughs> Pinks, I thought that after France. I thought, yes, we're finally there. And everyone at the team was cock-a-hoop. Andreas Seidel, team principal there, uh, was agreeing. He was thinking, hooray, we've made a breakthrough in France. And then just quali, quali on, on Saturday just didn't happen for him. And oh, I don't know. Well, it feels like he's taking three steps forward and two back each time. So we feel like there's been a big boost, a few false starts. We feel like there's been progress. And I think ultimately there has, but it's a gradual process. Pinks, it's such a mental game, this, isn't it? And I thought it was interesting that he came out pre-weekend talking about feeling homesick in that it is now a year, over a year since he was last back in Australia. He hasn't been seeing his parents. He hasn't been seeing his sister, friends, etc. And I think that's affecting him. He, well, he said it is. He said he's, he's hating it. He said the moment the world opens up, I'd put 20 people on a flight to come to a race. And you know what? I don't feel that that's going to happen anytime soon. And that must really be a black cloud over his head because I spoke to an Aussie mate of ours this morning. He said they're stricter than ever. They had one case today. They shut down the whole state again. And she doesn't see travel opening up anytime soon. That's really difficult. He's a real family guy. You know, he's very close to his mum and dad, his sister, his niece and nephew. And they, you know what it's like. You, you need your cup to be full, don't you? And your family does that for you. And it's times like these, it's a bit of a lonely existence being in Formula One, traveling around the world. And not to have your family at your side give you that boost you need. You need a cuddle. <laughs> Are you offering? A hundred percent. I'll give him as many cuddles as he wants. And it doesn't help that his teammates just smashing it out of the park every weekend, isn't it? Yeah. Lando 
has really raised his game, hasn't he? And I think he hit the ground running at the beginning of the season, probably quite nervous about Daniel joining the team because everyone's like, you know, he's a superstar. He's a proven race winner. What are you going to do about it? And Lando's responded brilliantly. Now, the only thing I would say, because I always prefer to be glass half full, is that it is better to see your teammate doing well so that you know the car has got potential. I think if they were both languishing down in 12th, 13th, you'd think, well, what potential has this car actually got? You know, and then Daniel might be questioning why he's joined the team. For me, it's just a matter of time. I know I've said it before. His talent hasn't gone anywhere. It's just a question of unlocking the potential of that car. Andre Seidel said after the race that great race by Lando Norris. Yes, he let Bottas and Perez through. It was brilliantly judged by him. He wasn't asked to let them through, but he knew where his race was. But Seidel said something interesting. He said, I'm still not satisfied because Ferrari have closed on us in the Constructors' Championship. We need to have two drivers up there, is what he said after the race. So I just wonder if he's just starting to turn the screw a bit on Daniel, whether there's a little bit of a lack of patience coming now. Do you know, though, Daniel doesn't need that, though. And really, I think... He didn't say, didn't blame Daniel, but he just sort of like, we need two drivers up there. Okay, so, so I really believe that a good man manager in times like these needs to understand whether their driver responds better to carrot or stick. I think most of them are carrot. I mean, they put enough pressure on themselves. They don't need someone else to tell them, come on, raise your game. You know, none of them are lazy. They wouldn't be where they are if they were. None of them leave a stone unturned, you know. They are some of the hardest working people we know. And they're hugely competitive. They put a lot of pressure on themselves. So really now it's a case, I believe, of the team pulling together around Daniel, Daniel turning to the team and saying, come on, let's work together and get through this. Another guy who had a cracking good weekend was Lance Stroll, qualified 10th, finished 8th. He had a bloody brilliant race. He should be so proud of himself, give himself a big pat on the back. He's a bloody good racer. And he did that. That move on Alonso was astonishingly good. I mean, the thing is, when you look on paper, he finished just a place higher than he started. But actually, when you analyse his race, Anthony Davidson said on Sky F1, it was the race of his life. And he reiterated that to me off air afterwards. He, he said he thought that was the best race he's ever seen Lance Stroll take part in. Well, let's see what happens this weekend. Actually, we mentioned Alonso Pinks. Yeah, Alonso was someone that did allow himself to enjoy the moment, particularly after Quali, didn't he? Yeah, what was the line? Beautiful. Nice that, mate. That was good, man. So enjoyable. Whatever the position will be, I did enjoy. It's great, you know, with all his experience and double world champion to be reveling in that moment, even though he was sort of P8, was, was great to hear. And actually Alpine are going to have to really rely heavily on him in the coming weeks because they struggled a bit this weekend, didn't they? Particularly with Ocon qualifying down in 17th, finishing in 14th. There's no doubt that Ocon's quick, but it's just not quite clicking for them at the moment, is it? As a team on the whole. Particularly for Ocon, he, what was he? 17th on the grid, wasn't he? Um, at the weekend. And it must be so difficult for him because he's just signed that new three-year deal leading into the French Grand Prix and he's had two bad races since then. He must be... He'll come good. He'll come good. Yeah, no, he's, 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 he's quick. But although uh, <laughs> Fernando is ruthless, isn't he? Any teammate of Fernando Alonso will tell you that the man is ruthless. And um, I'm sure Fernando 
is more relaxed now than he was in 2018 when he was last in Formula One. But his desire to win and to crush his teammates, I'm sure, is as strong as ever. He's just perhaps a little bit less brazen about it in the media. I don't know if you saw, we did a feature on Sky with him and George Russell. Oh, with Ant on the on the. On the, on the sky, sky pad. pad yeah. And it was actually lovely to see kind of the older, more experienced driver chatting to the younger one that's coming through, wanting to emulate the success of his, um, his older competitor. There was a huge amount of respect between the two. Fernando wrote on the back of George's helmet because they did the helmets in uh, Monaco, future world champ, you rock which I thought was really lovely. And I just love seeing the dynamic between the drivers, who clicks, who doesn't. Chemistry is a funny thing, isn't it? It kind of happens with people that you least expect. It's quite an unlikely friendship, but there's clearly a mutual respect there. And it was lovely to see them comparing their laps and sort of sharing notes, if you like. And I think that's what's so important about this changing of the guard is that imparting of knowledge from the likes of Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton, to the likes of Lando Norris, George Russell, you know, just don't get any ideas about nicking their seats. Yeah. And, and talking of the old guard pinks, I thought it was interesting that Fred Vasseur came out and said, yeah, it's not working for Kimi in qualifying at the minute. He said he's as good as he's always been in the race. And he was great in the race, you have to say. Great in the race. But Fred did say after qualifying that it just didn't, it's not quite working and it's our job as the team to help him find it. But the first admission I've heard from Alfa Romeo that, that Kimi's qualifying pace isn't what it was, for whatever reason. But again, referring back to what we're talking about, Daniel, that's when a team can identify the talent is there. They just have to unlock it and harness it and help them. It's, it's very different from when you, when you see a driver week in, week out, and you just know they haven't got what it takes they do know that Kimmy's still got it, as he proved on Sunday. So he just needs to find something else on a Saturday. And then he'll be regularly in the points because that car looks pretty quick. Well, Pink's great chat. I think we've done the Styrian Grand Prix, haven't we? Any other business? That's what we normally do at this stage of the show, isn't it? Well, I did have a bit of a sartorial moment during the weekend. Can I just say, Pinks, thought you looked great. Thought you looked great all weekend. Thank you very much. Thank in you. your presenter role. Oh, lovely. That's very kind. Lovely stuff. Well, I didn't pack closed-toe shoes. And that was significant because I haven't been on the grid for 10 years since my five live days. I'm way down the pecking order in terms of getting onto the grid for Sky Sports. But this time, stepping in for Simon Lazenby, I was allowed to go on the grid and I was buzzing about that. And we had about a minute to cross from McLaren garage over to the grid. And with 10 seconds to go until we were live again, the security guard stopped me and said, you can't come on the grid in your open toe shoes. Can you imagine my panic? Oh, no. I had heat going up my neck. <laughs> I was like, what? 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 Anyway. What did you do? Thankfully, we sweet talked to him and said, look, I'm so sorry. I did the terribly, terribly sorry. But I, I'm with live in 10 seconds and I won't do it again. And I promise to be terribly, terribly careful. But it was that pure panic of thinking they're going to throw to me and I just won't be there. And now I'm thinking, what am I going to wear next weekend? Well, with the weather forecast is, is for rain. Maybe you need some of Lewis's wellies. Oh, yeah. Oh, actually, Pink's talking of Sartorial and Lewis. Gosh, I hope I can tell this story. There was a bit of a moment, shall we say, in the post-qualifying press conference because 
I'd already heard that a lot of drivers go commando in their race suits. I don't know whether it's to oh. say <laughs> whether it's to save weight, only whatever the reason is. And Lewis always. What about chafing? Oh, I don't know. But Pinks, you know how uh, Lewis always gets changed before doing any media duties when he's out of the car, right? Yeah. He gets yep. changed. Do you remember the shorts he was wearing on Saturday? They had holes. Oh, I do. Like the lacy black ones. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All the way up his thighs. And he sits down in the chair opposite me. And I'm about, I don't know, three meters from him. And he looks at me and I'm looking his way. And he suddenly gets really self-conscious and goes, oh, no, you can't see anything, can you? And I was like, I'm not actually looking, but it might happen. <laughs> so if you look. Oh, Pinks, no. if you look at the post-quality press conference, you'll notice that Lewis has his legs crossed throughout, just to be sure. Oh, wow. <laughs> I cannot believe you finished this highbrow podcast with that story. Well, and you know what he said at the end? He said, the things I do for fashion. Ain't that the truth? The things I do for fashion. Anyway, there we go. We've got a few birthdays as well, haven't we, Pinks, this coming week? We do. We've got uh, Daniel Ricardo's and Sebastian Vettel's at the weekend. God, birthday cakes galore. It seems to be de rigueur that the teams turn up with a birthday cake right in front of everybody. And so they should. We've just said that they're not. no one's seeing their families enough at the moment. Imagine if we've got the birthday as well. <laughs> That'd be terrible. And we've got a couple uh, of young guns stepping in for FP1. Callum Eilert and Guan Yu Zhou. That'll be exciting to yeah, see. Yeah, I hope the weather's... Both of them make a good case for for being in the sport, for being in Formula One. As you say, though, the weather could be an issue. Of course, do you remember in Germany when Callum and uh, Mick missed out completely on their chance? At the Nürburgring, because of, cause of the fog. The Nürburgring, because yeah. it was such terrible weather. So I really hope the rain holds off for that. But yeah, I'm really excited to get back out to Austria on Wednesday. Brilliant. Well, have a good week uh, with the fam. Thank you so much. And you? Uh, no, I'm not with the fam. I'm, I'm still out in Austria. No, I'm saying have a good week. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. You're making me feel guilty. Wife, if you're listening, I love you very much. Um, yeah, I'm going off-road motorcycling tomorrow with Red Bull. Oh, hard life. Yeah. yeah. While you're... I hope your wife's not listening to that because <laughs> you're just working hard. <laughs> so while you're making the sarnies for school, Pinks, I will be mucking around, mucking around on two wheels. But yeah, look, see you Wednesday. Travel safe. Brilliant. Massive thanks to you, Tom, and to James Allison. Great insight into what Mercedes are going through at the moment. And of course, to you guys for listening. Always great to have your company. We'll see you again in just a few days' time. F1 Nation is produced by Audio Boom in association with Formula One. Something like that. We've mic'd it up again. Yay! <laughs> by Formula One in association with Audio Boom. <laughs> Nailed it. See you all.